Hey, Pastor John Aiken here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Faith Center podcast. We hope today's teaching will awaken and equip you to live out your God-given purpose. Enjoy. So um, what I'd like to do is, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to open your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. And y'all kind of know my MO. You know what happens. It's going to take me a few minutes to get there. If you got your notes, there's some scriptures in your notes that we're going to look at and talking about some of these different issues. There's no way we're going to be able to talk about everything that I even want to talk about, much less probably everything you want to talk about. And so I want to get to the core of this because this is something I've dealt with a lot in my life. And some people are surprised when they hear a little bit of my story on this. I've shared it in different capacities. Um, So we'll see how much of that I share tonight. But looking at racism, the first thing I want you to see is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image. Uh, Everybody say image. Okay. According to our likeness. So image and likeness. And of course, the the us and the are is speaking to the Trinity. Um, I think it's clear scriptural evidence of that. But God is saying, um, we're going to make man and mankind, it's human beings, uh, not just talking about male. We're going to make man, mankind in our image and likeness. So here's a pop quiz. Is it true to say that all mankind is created in the likeness of God? True or false? False. False. Is it true to say that all mankind is created in the image of God? <laughs> See, y'all don't know what to do now. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Because of the fall, because of the fall, Mankind is no longer in the likeness of God. Image speaks to, the the Hebrew word speaks to what you would say like a photograph, like looks like. Likeness speaks to functions like, acts like. And because of sin, we stopped acting like God. So it's true to say every human being on the planet is in the image, made in the image of God. That's absolutely true even in sin, because we're born from the contaminated seed of Adam. But it is not biblically true to say every human being is in the likeness of God. Now, once you get born again through spiritual maturity, reading things like Ephesians chapter 4, uh, where it talks about the fivefold ministry and equipping the, the saints for the work of ministry, it goes down to where we, we become uh, like the Son of God is where it talks about in Ephesians 4, like verse uh, 11 down through maybe 16, 17. It it brings back a a restoration of being like him. So when you're born again, that likeness is restored in your spirit immediately. And through your soul and your behavior and your life, through maturity, through discipleship. Okay. So what's confusing is when we have people that claim Christ, but they're not like Christ. And so, so to me, when you get into things like race, 
you get into things like race. Guys, there's one race. The human race. And I love how I heard a preacher one time say it. He said, I can't say it like he said it because he was like, wow, I I can't do all that. Uh, But he was like, you know, God's grace for every race. (laughs) You know, I just thought that was funny. I just, you know. So, um, So we're made in the image of God, but we're not made in likeness of God. And through discipleship and spiritual maturity, that likeness is is restored in our lives. Uh, And and so every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being is made in the image of God. And we have to get that. We have to understand that because people that end up being different from us, we don't understand them. We don't like them. And we notice little kids can come into it. They notice differences. They notice, you know, your your skin's not the same color. They don't know what's going on exactly, but they're like, you know what, they don't, they notice hair is longer. Boys and girls notice differences about each other. You know, people, you, you start noticing these differences um, uh, about one another, but we all are made in the image of God. And so the, the, in your, on your notes there, it says racism is, what do you think the next blank, what do you think that blank is? Biblically speaking, remember, it's biblically speaking, racism is what? Sin. Racism, did you say zen or sin? Okay, yeah. Zen, we would have had a different conversation. <laughs> sin is, is right. It's, it's sin. Sin is missing the mark. It's, it's, so it's sin. Racism is sin. Classism is sin. Here's one that everyone will love. Nationalism is sin. I love America. You've heard me preach on this. I love our nation. If you don't, go find one you do love. It's, it's, it's really that simple. But here's the deal. Nationalism can... Any truth brought to an extreme becomes error. And so we take good things and elevate them to God things, and, and it becomes an idol. So racism, judging somebody by the color of their skin, judging somebody by, by some external thing, you know, is, is absolutely, it's sin. There's no question about it. It's sin. Um, and and for, for believers, disciples, you know, of God, we've got to make sure we don't fall into that. But, but man, we, we do it so easy to judge the book by its cover, to, to look at certain things and because of certain whatever. It, and even if it was not even like stereotypes, uh, I've had experiences happen to me when I've been jumped by certain people. I've been jumped. Uh, and, and one time I was in Atlanta and there was a certain kind of car that pulled up and, 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 a window, and it was me and some friends walking and a window rolled down and a double barrel shotgun came out of the window. And aimed at us, and we were in the downtown Atlanta, and and there's people in the car dressed a certain way, having a certain kind of music and all that kind of stuff playing, and so that moment scared me so much. I literally turned around, and ran to a skyscraper. I don't know what I didn't know what to go. I didn't know what to do. And then they just started yelling, "Bang, bang, white boy, bang, bang!" I'm telling you, I was just like. Now, as soon as they left, I was like, and they turned the corner. <laughs> I was like, what? because <laughs> I'm I'm street right so that's as soon as I went around the street 
I got bold. But the reality is that scared me. And, and, and there are times that I still see a car like that and I just have a moment of like, yeah, a trigger. And this, this thing, it just, and, there's, and I catch it, I catch myself and be like, no, you know. But we all have those things because we're human. We have imprints. Now, we, they don't have to take control of us. They don't have to dominate us. But, but they're there. And so there's certain things that we have to, you know, you know, learn to learn to redeem it in Christ so it doesn't become so it doesn't become something that is off balance or becomes sin in our life. Because we can easily find people to agree with us about certain things. And then it becomes the us against the them. And, and we agree about these different things and we can justify anything we want to. I wrote this thing down for me um, that nationalism, the thing about nationalism when it's taken to error and to idolatry, says phrases something like this. And, and I read a couple of these online, but it says, uh, America is like the last hope for Christianity. That's nationalism. Some of you think, well, yeah, yeah that's right. America is the last hope for Christianity. When the true statement, the true statement would be uh, Christianity is the last hope for America. That's kingdom. That's kingdom. And when we come into Christ, these other realities that we identified ourselves by must become second. There's still realities in our life. What nation you live in is a reality. What color your skin is, is a reality. What your gender is, male or female, is a reality. It's a reality. It's just not the greatest reality. What, what kind of um, you know, class or socioeconomical class were you raised in, that, 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 that's a reality. Your life experiences are realities. But all those have to be submitted and surrendered to the highest reality, which is the king and his kingdom. That's why, that's why uh, America is not the, the, the last hope for Christianity. Because the fastest growing and strongest church representation in the world, as far as disciples, quality of disciples, quantity of disciples, signs, wonders, and miracles, where God is at work, is not in America. It's in some of the poorest, most persecuted places on the planet. And we think they need to be like us. When the truth is, we need to be more like them. And there's balance in all this and tons of conversations that need to be had, but we have to have them with a Jesus-first mentality. A Jesus-first mentality on, on all this stuff. Uh, and I, I'm telling you, I hate, I hate the racism that I've seen. I've, I've had friends who have married interracially and they have been, they have been ridiculed um, mocked, they had older generate parents that disowned them because they married somebody of a different color skin and, and suffered real, real punishment for it, being, uh, being written out of inheritance, being rejected, and that kind of stuff. And these are Christians. 
And then not to mention all the jokes and stuff that go. People say these little jokes about whatever group of people say these little jokes and, and we just like, oh, we're just joking and it's funny and all that. It's sin. It's sin to do that. You know, and I also hate, I also hate like the cross, cross and white robes. Burning cross and white robes are two were two major symbolisms of racism in America. I think that's demonic. A white robe in the Bible speaks to gowns of righteousness. Let, let us reason together, Isaiah said. Though your sins were as scarlet, you shall be white as snow. Talking about robes of righteousness. And, and, and then the cross, the burning cross, as to try to say this super race, this superior race, and stuff. It's just sin. It's just absolute sin. And I even believe it, it's, it's demonic, that prideful, demonic activity to lift up something natural or human to a godlike stance. And that's where some of these other things on the other extreme are just as demonic when we start looking at things outside of God to be the solution to where human wisdom and, and, and human power, even progressivism at its fullest extent. Um, and, and things, like, like I said, there's truths that get taken to an extreme and they become error. So we have these different things where, where humans can, we, we can figure this out. This is the generation that's going to get it right. We're going to have world peace and world hunger, all that stuff. Well, we're going to get it right. And you, you don't you forget that you need God. It, it kind of reminds me of like the Tower of Babel when they're and I know I'm getting off track a little bit, but the Tower of Babel, they all came together and they could do all this, all this stuff. And even God affirmed if they communicate, and do all this stuff together, they can accomplish so much, except they won't accomplish the will of God. And they were not building a tower, you know, one stack upon another to where eventually they were going to like knock on heaven's door and, and be able to come in. And God was like, no, I don't want you to come in. Guys, and I've heard preachers actually preach that like, like they were going to reach heaven. Well, it's impossible. You get to a certain height, you're going to run out of oxygen. Okay, if astronauts and space shuttles haven't reached it, you know, you're not going to reach it. So it wasn't about like physically going into heaven. It was the pride of their accomplishment of look at the tower we built that reaches to the heavens. People from all over the world come see what we built. We didn't do it with God. We didn't do it for God because human Human stuff of, of, of and I'm going to be careful how I say stuff. Human empowerment and dependence of any kind, whatever ism you call it, is, is, is sin also, and it's prideful. And you're saying we don't need God. We can do it ourselves. And the danger is when you try to solve the problem of racism through culture, or through certain things. That's why, oh Lord Jesus, that's why critical race theory is extremely dangerous. Not, not because we, we should be critical about how our nation has handled race. We should be critical about a lot of the stuff that has happened and not just put our head in the sand. There are tons of stuff where our nation has, has abused people and dishonored people. Ab absolutely. 
and we and we should be critical about about you know expressions or evidences of things that have taken place but you don't have to take that and go to an extreme and start creating this this structure that now becomes uh, an arc trying to save or solve the problem becoming an arc that man made or a tower that man built to trust in something is Jesus is the answer he's the answer for it and so the other side of that coin is over here saying well anybody trying to criticize our nation and stuff and this is where I this is where I I find myself sometimes people um criticizing well I'll just I'll be just be real honest with you there's some a group of people I was talking to one time and they were talking about the flag and and during the anthem and and where the people kneeled for the flag I'm already in trouble I'm already going way I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah so and it really bothered me it really bothered me to this day it bothers me to my core when I see people disrespect the flag and so I was trying to listen to some people and talking about, well, people have a right to protest and everything. And I'm like, I'm like trying to hold the smack back and, and sitting there just trying to listen. But it was so hard because of my own prejudice, which we'll talk about in just a second. And, and so, because here's, I'm coming from a perspective of being the one back when I was skinny and in shape, being in the military and being the one that was on the color guard that did the funerals of soldiers who passed away and would have to, you know, be all in line and, and fold the flag and be the one that brings the flag to the widow and say, on behalf of a grateful nation. So I'm like, y'all going to have to forgive me if, I'm, if, if, if Home Slice is going to disrespect the nation. I shouldn't have said that because that's disrespectful. If a person, but I struggle with it. But if we, if, if we can talk about, okay, you should be able to protest and let your voice be heard. So it's a, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing all the way around. And, and so in that moment, I have to like, okay, Holy Spirit, you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to help me because there's another person that's made in your image sitting in front of me that, that we need to walk this thing out and even if we disagree about different things it gives me no right to dishonor dishonor should never breed dishonor now our conversation might be short and be like well I guess we don't have much to talk about I don't know how to handle all that stuff but that's just an example of some of the stuff and and I feel like I've grown in it especially if you travel to other nations and see believers in other nations that have nothing like our kind of life here nothing like our kind of like a corrupt government on the on on way worse than what we have here and the way of life is terrible and yet they worship Jesus in a way that is more pure and more holy and more more godly than any of us and suffer way more persecution than any of us had. I remember, okay, let me get back to the notes. So I want to look, look at the word prejudice. Uh, or it could be a bias, it could be a number of different words you, you could do, but it's a preconceived, circle that word preconceived, and then underline the word perspective. It's a preconceived perspective, judgment, or opinion formed without knowledge, evidence, or examination. So when I say without knowledge, evidence, or examination, it's based on truth. 
It's based on facts. So like going back to that night in Atlanta, the truth is no one was trying to kill me. There were some other teenagers trying to have some fun. They thought, and it might have been a toy double barrel that looked real. I didn't investigate, <laughs> you know, but the, the fact is probably no one was trying to kill me. Uh, and there's people who've gone through terrible things and those experiences then be- become foundational truths in your life that you, that you have to then deal, deal with and, and, and bring before God for him to redeem it and reset it, or it's going to be a, a push button and a trigger in your life. And, and so in these, in these different things that happen to us, it becomes something that happens to us then becomes a preconceived perspective. And here's what I try to do, even in that flag story. What I need to try to do is try to ask questions to understand somebody else's perspective. And that night when we did that in that room, once I calmed down and started like breathing and started saying, Holy Spirit, help me, I began to understand some other people's perspective and I actually agree with their perspective. I wouldn't have said it that way in the, conversa- in the conversation. I would have, you know, so all of us can come to the same truth, but we're coming from different perspectives. And our journey there might be a little bit different. You know, we, need, we can't compromise the truth. We've got to come to the truth. We all have to come to the, the landing place of truth. But we all come from a different perspective. And what's happening right now is people that are coming from a different perspective, we're judging where they're coming from. And when we judge where they come from on their journey to where where they're going, instead of trusting the Holy Spirit to help lead them there, even if we're coming differently and at different paces and different paths, and I'm not saying there's different paths that lead to heaven and lead to God. There's only one. His name is Jesus. But if I went around this room and y'all, you told the story about how you came to Christ, there'd there'd be the truth would all be the same, but how God reached you would be totally different. And so we need the Holy Spirit to, to come in and work. And it's so, so racism begins to cancel, begins to fight against the working of God in a race or in, in, in classism, in a class or all these different perspectives. It begins to cancel out. We, we become people that grieve the Holy Spirit and cancel it out because of our opinions and our prejudice and, and whatever. Because we think, well, how, how would God lead you from there to here? This is the way. This is the way. And what we need to be saying is, Jesus is the way. So however you get to Jesus, you need to get to Jesus. It might not be the way I got there, but that's how... That's, so instead of lifting up something secondary that's part of our preference or even was part of our process from getting to, to Christ or, or living in Christ, we need to lift Him up, not some secondary thing. Uh, I think it was said of, I, I believe I have this right, of Gandhi. When he was a, a, a young teenager, he was hearing somebody preach the gospel of Jesus. And, and he was a Hindu. And, there's, and I, don't, I can't explain it all, but the, the classisms that are in Hindu, all the different, uh, I don't even know what they officially call it. Caste, the caste system. Uh, was so prevalent, um, and there's so much, so much through that caste system, so much rejection, and and so much 
isms going on. And so he was tired of it, and he was thinking and hearing, like based on the life of Jesus, that Jesus was not supporting the, the caste system and, and these different classes. So he actually one day he started reading the gospel and one day went to a Christian church. This is, I think, uh, I heard a preacher talk about this, that this was in, this was in one of his, and I don't know which one, but one of Gandhi's journals that he went as a seeker to a Christian church, came in the door, and one of the ushers said, because of his caste and the caste system, you're not welcome here. And I think it was like, your kind is not welcome here. So he was confused, and how a person in the Christian church treated him, he thought, well, if Jesus is like that... I don't want to follow Jesus and left. And I'm not saying specifically, you know, he would have become a Christian or whatever, but that stuff, it, that's an extreme case, but that stuff happens. That's why the greeters and the people who serve, it, you, you do a huge job. And, and that's why we have to make sure, like, like, Lord, examine me. Make sure there's none of that nonsense in me. You know, that, that I want you to begin to, to use me in, 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 in all these capacities. And so, um, so the, the question there right below that is, why are you not exactly like me? That's one of the key things that we don't verbalize it that way because we're smarter than that. We, we understand there's differences, uh, but different doesn't equal wrong. Different just equals different. Um, and we have to trust the Holy Spirit to pre-calculate the differences, to reach everybody where they are and bring them to where he is. And, and so when sometimes people who are different from you can be scary to you. And so let's look at Philippians chapter 2 real quick. I got to pick up the pace. Philippians 2, therefore, if they're starting in verse 1. Philippians 2 verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. That would be awesome. Verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Look out, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Um, it goes on to say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery uh, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of mankind, human beings. And being found in appearance as a man, as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That the same, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And of, uh, of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess uh, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Of the Father. So this whole section is really good. The rest of the chapter is really good. But, but what I want to draw your attention to is, is if you're going to walk in a kingdom mindset, you can't let prejudice rob you. You can't let prejudice rob God. Because what you know can keep you from what you need to know. What you've done can keep you from what God wants you to do. 
you got to be open to trust the Holy Spirit every single day. I've heard a preacher one time say this, the, the biggest enemy to the next move of God is the last move of God. Because if God's going to move, He's going to do it just like He did last time. Instead of being in, in awareness and sync and following the Holy Spirit to let Him move. And, and so... We've got to, you know, be careful about all that. We'll we'll judge certain people, and and I've done this, guys. I've done this. I've 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 seen certain people and made quick judgments without even realizing I'm doing it about certain people. Only later to talk to them and realize, ooh, they're more saved than I thought. I I could learn something from them, but I judge them. I also, I've met people that I looked. I thought, wow, they must be righteous until I talked to them. And and so. And, and then this thing where it says in verse, um, where is it at? In verse 3, selfish ambition, we all kind of know what that is, but of conceit, and some of you have other, other words there. That phrasing in Greek, I believe, speaks to um, this pride of your, of your false, of your perceived identities. Like the thing, you, your labels, like if you label yourself as it could be a denomination, it could be some way that you esteem yourself. So it could be nationality. It could be the color of your skin. It could be it could be what what side of the road, you know, what side of the tracks you came from, whatever. Anything of human source that you begin to stand on as an identity that that word speaks to that. So when you begin to say, you know, I'm, I'm this or I'm that, and the this or the that is not in Christ. Anything other than in Christ. Even if you said, well, I'm part of Faith Center. <sighs> Faith Center, our pastor's so smart. Faith Center, just we're smarter than every other, every other church. No, that's, that's wrong. That's sin. So we don't identify ourselves by anything. at all. We have different realities. It's a reality you're at Faith Center. Uh, it, you know, but... It's, it's, it's recognizing we live from the highest reality, reminding ourselves. See, here's what needs to happen. You can have strongholds in the spirit of, of the kingdom just as you can have strongholds in, in darkness. And a stronghold in darkness can be some kind of addiction or some kind of thing that just has a stronghold and a spiritual stronghold on you that keeps you bound into this false belief and this false identity. Well, a stronghold in the kingdom is the same thing except it's a strong, it's a, it's a stronghold on the king and it's a belief in the king so strong that even temptation won't break it in you and so what we need is a stronghold of our true identity in Christ that I'm a kingdom American and he's, he's called me to serve this, be serving in this nation. And, and he's not coming to lift up uh, America uh, to, to make it the next great whatever. It's, 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 and now he, he wants to be glorified in America. And there's different, a whole other conversation about how do we do that from a biblical worldview. And how do, we, how do we vote right? And how do we stand right? And how do we let our voices be heard? But the way we don't do it is get on Facebook and start blasting a bunch of stuff. If we're ever going to say something from the mountaintop, it better not be political. It better be kingdom. Wear your congressman out on the phone and email. 
Have your conversations with the people you're in relationship with. Have those debates in honoring ways with people you're in relationship with. Make stands in in God-honoring ways. One of the worst things that a kingdom-minded disciple could do is look at the opposite side and say, well, they're doing this and they're doing this, so we need to fight. It's the worst thing you could do. Taking the arm of the flesh in Jesus' name. And I'm telling you, if, you, if you're, if you're going to say something from the mountaintops, from the rooftops, it better be what He whispers in your ear. But some of us are so distracted, we're not even hearing Him. Because we picked up this thing for save America, or America's going to save, you know, some American thing, instead of realizing that, you know, Jesus has got this covered. And my job is to maybe get off social media and start going into society in in a very practical way to bring change and stuff. And so looking at Acts 1 verse 8, this is kind of the heartbeat for tonight. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. To me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that's why I say this is not about making America great again. It's about making disciples in America. Making disciples in America. And, and so this thing witnesses, that word witness is, is actually the root word is where we get the word martyr. And a martyr, many of you know, uh, has come to be defined as someone who, uh, a martyr, someone who's given their life for Christ. They died through persecution and they gave their life for Christ. That's what a martyr is. But a martyr didn't originally mean that. The definition of, of the root word for the word martyr and what, what the word martyr is, somebody who would live for Christ. So it became redefined as from somebody that would live for Christ to somebody that would die for Christ because they live for Christ all the way in the face of death. And so we're called to be living witnesses for Christ. And so in Judea, Samaria, or Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, that could speak to a couple different things for sake of time. I wrote it out for you. Jerusalem speaks to your city like Paducah. I think there's biblical patterns that, that are there. And then it's like a pond or ripples in a pond going out. Judea speaks to the region and state. And see, instead of trying to go big, you need to go small. Instead of trying to change the world, change your world. Because if you try to change the world, you won't recognize how the enemy is changing your world. And then Samaria, I think, you know, speaks to cultural and racial differences because any Bible student knows the, the Jew and Gentile, uh, you know, racism that, that is throughout the Bible because God reached one nation to reach all nations, but the one nation that God reached ended up getting prideful thinking we're God's chosen people, not realizing God chose them because he chose all people. So they begin to misinterpret scripture according to their pride of nationalism. And instead of being the light of the world and the megaphone for God, 
to reach all nations, they, be, they begin to and misinterpret even some of things that God said. God said at different times, don't marry some people from a foreign nation. And what he was saying is don't, and it says it clearly in the text, is don't bring their foreign idols and their false worship into your home. They will contaminate you and corrupt you. So he wasn't saying I'm against them. He's saying I'm against, I'm, I'm against their practices. So what you have to do is you have to represent me to them and they will be engrafted into you. You know, uh, but Solomon with with all his wives and the thing all through the Old Testament scripture is don't be unequally yoked in, in, in marriage with them because they will lead you astray. And, you know, you can be unequally yoked with your nation and be led astray. You can be unequally yoked with your race and be led astray. So our, we take his yoke, like I talked about on Sunday, we need to be yoked with him. And so that Samaria is, they were, they were kind of what most considered a half-breed. That the, the, the Jewish people didn't really uh, consider them pure Jews. They considered them half-Jews. That's why Jesus, when John chapter 4, when he's going through Samaria, it was a big deal. Like, why are you going through Samaria? Nobody goes through that neck of the woods. We don't go through there. That's, that's unholy. That's ungodly, whatever. It was these preconceived judgments and, and these perceptions. And Jesus was like, kind of like, what are y'all talking about? I'm the king. I redeem anywhere I go. And so he went and found a woman at a well and she just, if you went down a list of, of people like who would you, who would the Jewish law say you should not go minister to? Jesus like went down the list and found that person. And then spoke truth to her. He didn't say, girl, just keep doing what you want to do. Keep living any way you want to live. He confronted her sin, but did it through this relationship way by the Spirit of God. We weren't there. We don't, we don't know, but it was by His Spirit, knowing it's full of compassion and fulling of love, and so much so that even though she didn't meet any of the requirements and was, shouldn't have been somebody who was on the list, that Jesus used her to go, to go reach an entire city for Him. And the disciples, I guarantee you, were offended at that. Because how could you use her? And, and so what ends up happening is, that I think that's Samaria. It's, it's the cultural and racial differences, and then the ends of the earth just speaks to all, all the nations. And on the flip side, this should be a reminder, on the flip side of your notes, that we are living witnesses called to be pastoral to our families. Don't, don't try to change the world. Start at home. You know, we were talking, uh, Tim Harmon's in the back of the room here. And if y'all don't know Tim and, and Tanya, you need to get to know them. They're amazing. Uh, Tanya's more amazing than Tim, but Tim's here tonight, so we'll say he's amazing. Uh, and, <laughs> it's, and I don't know who I was talking to. Oh, I know who it was. And they were just talking, we we're talking about families and just focusing on family and was just honoring you about how, how you lead your family, you know, and, and, was, and it's just honoring because it doesn't, you know, you put Christ first no matter where you are. And, and, and just honoring, honoring him in that. That was just uh, yesterday somebody was, was telling me that, Tim. So somebody's talking well about you, just so you know. Uh, and that's being pastor to your families. Be pastoral to your families. Don't give that up for somebody else to do. You shouldn't give up your education of your kids to the school system, and you shouldn't give up pastoring your kids to me. 
you can do it, I can help. And, and so that's, that's what we need to do. We need to be partners to the saints. Other saints, we should be in partnership. We're partners. We're kingdom-minded. We're kingdom partners. We shouldn't be coming against one another because we disagree with a certain perspective or a certain thing. We should be partnering together. For what? Not for a certain color of skin. Not for a certain man-given agenda or a certain reality that's lower, that's, that's secondary. We should be partnering for the eternal kingdom of God. The next one is we should be prophetic to society. It means our life should speak something inspirational about God. Our life should speak instruction. Our life should speak warning. Our, through testimony, you can give warning to people. you got to share, be transparent with your story. Of, of and, and Your life should be prophetic to people. You should be a sign, a prophetic sign. To society. You're not the judge to society. You're not the jury to society. We're supposed to be salt and light. And then the last one is we should be priests and preachers to sinners. Priest meaning we should be prayerfully interceding for them. Hebrews 7 talks about he lives to make intercession. And when we're angry, at least maybe you, you're righteous enough, you can do it this way, but when I'm angry at somebody because of a certain thing, it's hard for me to genuinely intercede for them and hear the Spirit of God. And so we need to be mindful that the worst of the worst we should be interceding for. And then we should be preachers being able to go preach an, a non-polluted gospel. And when I say non-polluted, there's no other agenda. We're not preaching a Baptist agenda. We're not preaching a Pentecostal agenda. We're not preaching a faith center agenda. We're not preaching any, uh, we're not preaching an American agenda. We're not preaching, all we're doing is, is preaching his agenda. Not tainted by anything else. And then Acts 10, uh, 28, this is Peter, and if you haven't read the whole chapter, you can read it later, but Acts 10 is where Peter was in a time of prayer. Many of y'all, many of y'all know the story. He's in this time of prayer, and, and as he's in this time of prayer, God, he's on a roof, and he's in this trance. The Bible said he's in a trance, and, and, and God shows him this vision three times. He sees this. Go read Acts chapter 10, the whole chapter, you'll see it. And he sees this sheet come down with different unclean animals on it. And, it, and it, it comes down and he hears, you know, rise, kill, and eat. And he's like, I ain't no, that's, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. You know, he's like, I rebuke that. And because what was God, what God was doing through the Holy Spirit, God had been speaking. Uh, an angel came and spoke to a Gentile named Cornelius to his house. An angel showed up to this Gentile's house. And spoke to him. And this is, this is, there's so many aspects of the story. It's so cool that I think it's really cool. An angel shows up who, who then says, you need, the angel told him, you need to go to Peter's house down at, down at this place. You need to go see Peter. He's going to tell you something important. He's going to preach the gospel to you. I love it. Wouldn't, how cool would it be for somebody to show up at your house and say, an angel appeared to me? And told me I need to hear what you have to say. That tells you a couple things. And the main thing is this. Angels don't preach the gospel. 
only redeemed preach a redeeming gospel. What a privilege. We get to do what angels will never do. They can declare the glory of the Lord, but they cannot preach the gospel. They can magnify him. We worship with the angels. We get to do what they do. They don't get to do what we do. I just think that's just really, really cool. And so what happens is he sees this and he's like, no, I rebuke that. And verse 28, uh, and Peter, by the way, was, was recounting this story to some people. And he says, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home. And remember, Gentile is just non-Jewish. You're not from that bloodline. So you have the Jewish nation, which is Hebrew and Israelite. Just put it all together, basically, for right now. It's a simple way to do it. Um, and then every other nation is Gentile. And so the Jews are like, we don't, we don't mess with those Gentiles. We're the chosen nation. And, they, and you know, our laws, you know, it's, look at that, our laws is what it says. It wasn't God's law. It was their laws. Because God never, God never meant for that. It was their tradition formed out of a misinterpretation of the law of God and the scripture of God. That they said that they came, it came to be a commonplace practice and they were wrong. And now God had to show a manifestation of the Holy Spirit to give fresh revelation about scripture that has always been true, but they had misinterpreted it. And so what, he, what God, what he says is a Gentile uh, to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you, but God has shown me. Man, underline that phrase. You still need God to show you stuff. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Another translation says it this way. I should no longer call common what God has cleansed. And you say, well, wait a minute. Cornelius wasn't saved yet. But you need to understand the blood that would save him has already been offered. So God has already made the decision of what he wants to do with Cornelius. And then when we, through racial bigotry and prejudice, begin to say, I can't, whether it's religious, racial, or classism, whatever, we begin to say, nope, Cornelius doesn't deserve to be saved. We are getting in the way of God. Building our kingdom, not his. So I love that. I love that about I'm not going to call common. I'm not going to call like, like they can't be saved. And you think, well, that wouldn't happen much. Look over in the book of Acts in Acts 15 real quick. Again, this Acts 15, 16, and 17 would be in your best interest to just read them all the way through. I won't have time to do that tonight. But look at Acts 15, verse 1. And look at this. Look at this. This is incredible to me. And, a, and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now that's not kingdom. That's not new covenant. That's not even old covenant. Because Abraham was saved, considered righteous even before he was circumcised. 
So the circumcision was a sign. And in the New Testament, the Bible says that it's the cutting away of the flesh, which is baptism is the New Testament circumcision. A sign of you have cut away the old life. That's what it says in Colossians. And so it, it goes on, and, and, and so they had this debate. And you just read down through there. You get down to verse 6, and there's this Jerusalem council. The leaders get together. They start speaking about this. Verse 7 says, uh, and there had been much dispute. So they're, they're talking and arguing, and, and then Peter stands up. Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know uh, that a good while ago, and then he begins to share this testimony of what, of what God did, the revelation that God showed him. He begins to share this. And so the New Testament church, uh, which this is about 12 to 15 years, this chapter is about 12 to 15 years after the day of Pentecost. So they were still wrestling with Jew and Gentile stuff, which is, which is, which is equivalent to racism. Jesus had already solved the problem because the cross and what he came to do, he, he, he died and, and the two find their life in him. They find you, he is our peace. So it's not like Jew and Gentile, let's, let's have peace and let's get together and have peace just like human beings and, and somebody standing up in some kind of world order of let's just all have peace and let's get world peace. Jesus didn't come to bring world peace. He came to bring kingdom peace. Your only peace is peace with the king. So even, even with the shepherds, when they saw, you know, in, in the, the Christmas story, and the shepherds come and say, peace, you know, it, it speaks to that, that peace. What was the phrase? They, the, that peace on earth and goodwill towards men. He was not saying like, oh, we're all going to get along and be happy now. Because he also said in another place, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. So he wasn't saying, oh, it's just going to be world peace and we're all going to walk in love. Don't let the world view of, of, of the culture of the world that's not following Jesus redefine Jesus for you. And they'll talk about peace. So then anything that has the word peace in it, 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 it just, the, the end, peace, justifies the means. And that's not, what, that's not kingdom. Because what Jesus, what, what the angels were saying is, the Prince of Peace is coming with a covenant of peace, and now there's peace because a sacrifice of the Son of God is going to be made, and now man will have peace with God, not man having peace with man. That's, that's what he's talking about, covenant of peace that we have. Um, Acts 17, gosh, and there's more in Acts 15, Acts 17. Uh, is really big. This is Mars Hill. If you've never read Acts 17, please go read Acts 17. I want to read just a little bit of it right now. So skip down for sake of time to verse... Go all the way down to... We'll start in verse 22. So Paul's here in... in in Athens, and so Paul stood up in the midst of the Areopagus, I always struggle with that word, uh, which is this, this place where philosophers and stuff would go, a stoic place, and, and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, and I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. 
Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, without knowing him, you know, I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men, men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives life to all, life and breath to all things. And he made from one blood every nation. And I'll add in his image of men to dwell on the face of the earth and determined, this is absolutely incredible, and determined their pre-appointed times, that means what generation you would be born, and the boundaries, that's your geographic location of your dwellings. Okay, why did he do all that? So that they would seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope which is passionately, you know, seek after him and find him for he's not far from each of us. And in him, we move and breathe and have our very being. So what he's, what the scripture is saying here, and we're going to keep reading just a little bit more in just a second, but what he's saying here so far is, is our creator, God, the father, the creator is so wise and so masterful. He, he, all nations came from him. One blood. See, that's, one blood, many skin colors. One blood, many nations. It's an it's a equal transaction. One blood for one blood. One blood for the entire human race and one blood sacrifice for the entire human race. It's an equal one blood for one blood. Jesus didn't give his skin for you. Jesus didn't give his culture for you. He gave his blood for you. It's a blood transaction. And so we need to remember, like one body, different parts. Multiple nations, one blood. And from one blood, it's really from one blood to one blood. And pre-appointed times and pre-appointed boundaries. That means that we are born in this generation. Why were we born now and not some other time? I believe for, for me, it's because Chick-fil-A didn't exist at other times and God knows me. For you, I don't know what it is. But the reality is that he put you in this, he put you in this generation and in your geographic, in, as far as place of origin, your geographic location. Because this was the place and the time that you would most likely find him. That's how passionate he is about redeeming mankind. So when we look at other generations born in this time, when we don't understand the times, and I don't, I, I'm telling you, I wish it was 1980 all over again. We don't understand the time. We don't understand what's happening. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit to show us because our assignment is in the generation. David served his generation, the Bible says. And so we need to recognize this, this time and this place to, to walk in these things. Um, and then it goes on, by the way. Let me just say this, and I'm, I'm, I promise you I'm, going, I'm, I'm coming close. I'm closer now than I was earlier. <laughs> Skip down. The whole thing's good. Skip down to verse 31. Actually, 30 and 31. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day 
on, uh, on which he will judge. Who will judge? He will judge the world. That's eternal judgment in righteousness by the man, capital M in most of your Bibles, whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And then the next scripture blows me away. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, we'll hear you again on this later. And then some actually joined him and, and followed him. So Paul did not, he did not, Paul preached, there is a day of judgment, today is not that day. Jesus was judged for you, but there is a day of judgment. So it's unloving to not preach, there is a day of judgment. It is un. It is not truthful to preach, today is that day. You have to be willing to come as a representative of Christ to not let any kind of prejudice in any capacity, which is color of, which is clothing, which is the way somebody carries themselves. I judge the music people listen to. I judge, I judge, I'm telling you, if I'm just, if I'm just, you know, sometimes when I'm not focused in and, and, and following the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, I'm telling you, I can judge people so quick. I can put them in categories so quick in my mind that, that I have a preconceived perspective that will cause me to pollute or, or damn up anything the Spirit of God wants to do through me. But what I would rather be is a vessel of honor that's pure, saying, Lord, give me your heart for these people, which is a perfect heart of love and truth. And the one who would judge for them will be the one that judges them. And me having this pure heart. And so, so in this Galatians 3, 28, many of y'all know the scripture. It says there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male or nor, neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. In context in that scripture, it was talking about Jews and Gentiles and talking about a number of different things. And he kind of just tied it all together in that scripture. And basically what he's saying is this. In Christ, in Christ, you are now in one new blood. You're in the blood of Christ. You're redeemed by the blood of Christ. So in Christ, your nationality does not matter. It's no longer a priority. It's not that it doesn't need to be valued. It just does not need to be pridely puffed up. It just needs to be a tool in the hand of God. That there's no difference if I'm in, if I'm in America or if I'm in Mexico. I'm going to serve the same Lord. No difference. I have no right to, to forsake or excuse myself from the Great Commission even if I'm in Iran or China in the underground church. No right. No right. I can't be distracted from that. So my nationality can't take first place. Uh, and then my condition. Am I slave or am I free? And there's a number of ways we could define that depending on the culture. I mean, slavery is absolutely wrong. Absolutely. And if you study it out, biblical culture, there's arguments to be said. Some of the times where you see it, 
It's not slavery in the term of what we see, of what we would know. It's people coming to work for a wage that they agreed to work for. And, and it, it's not slavery in the terms of what we see. And then other times it's absolutely slavery in the terms that, that we see. But what Christ is saying, whether you're slave or whether you're free, you're in Christ. You're in Christ. Paul said it this way, for me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. And, and it doesn't matter if things are going well, things are going bad. It, it, your, your condition, it, it, it's secondary. And then the last one is your, your gender. I could be male or female. It doesn't matter. In Christ, we're one. Because so many cultures, including biblical cultures, and we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, I, I am a firm believer, you may disagree with me, it'll be a few weeks before we get to it, but people who teach that men or that women cannot teach men, that is, I think that is, that is so unbiblical. But yet people hold up that banner because they read at first glance what a couple of scriptures say and they think and they think like it's unbiblical and they talk about heresy and stuff. Yet, in my opinion, they're the ones who are heretic. And stuff like that will get me put on a watch list or a website. But when you look through scripture, and in my opinion, and you it's just it's just when you see it culturally and in context. And you look it out, it's to me, it's very clear. There's women apostles. It's just, it's just, it's just clear. Um, but people will fight you over that. They will fight you over that. And it's so funny, the different perspectives that divide us. And people say, oh, heretic. And ever we're going around, heretic, 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 heretic. And everyone's calling everyone a heretic. And to some degree, we all are. To some degree, we have blind spots is a better way to say it. But anyways, so we'll look at that sometime just in case anybody. I've got to be careful on nights like this. So I want to tell you one more story and then I'm going to let you go. I was talking with a group of people one time about race and and it was uh, mostly in the conversation. There are some different nationalities there and different cultures represented, but it was mostly a black and a white conversation. And and so as we were talking, you know, uh, I don't know, the conversation went to this thing like like we wouldn't understand racism. And, and for the most part, I would say for anybody. Uh, we don't understand somebody else's experience unless you have the take the time to ask and take the time to listen. So that should be the first thing is just listen. Um, and through the last couple of years in our nation, it's like nobody takes the time to listen because you quickly judge what they're saying because they don't start the right way. Or they don't start in a way and it triggers something in us and all of a sudden we just we're shutting them down. Instead of like, I'll listen to you all the way out to see what what you, you know, to see your perspective. And just because I listen to you does not mean I agree with your perspective. I just value enough to listen to you. And so the reality is I sat down, listened to these people and everything, and they were kind of belittling towards me. I'm not going to say the things that they said, but they were very like dismissive towards me. Everything that they said people had been to them, they were being very dismissive towards me. And I felt something rising up in me, and I didn't know how to handle it. And I actually, you know, became like a little crybaby. Uh, but it was like a little angry crybaby. And, and I sat there and started talking about some different stories that I had growing up. And I won't share all the stories, but I'll give you a little taste of it. And I was saying racism is not just white towards black. 
Because what will happen is you'll take your different experiences and use them to create this false thing that you find comfort in or you find could be victimhood, could be whatever. And just because you were victimized does not mean you should take on victimhood. Jesus is your Savior. He's your Redeemer and a Savior from everything. But I, I remember different times, and some of this is, re- and I didn't realize I didn't realize it till that night. If you would have asked me ten minutes prior to that conversation I'm referring to, I would have I would have not I would have said, "No, I've never experienced racism. Never experienced that at all." But I was listening to them, and and I'm thinking about stuff. So I said a couple comments. They were very dismissive to me. And so I'm sitting there thinking, maybe I should just let it go. And then I'm like, no, we're talking about being open. We're talking about having conversations. So when they got done, I I said, I want to share some of my story. Because I was the little white boy that that was his basketball player. And by the way, that movie, you all know that movie, White Man Can't Jump? That's a lie. (laughs) Because I could jump. I could jump. And that's just what I, I, and, and, and my middle school coach told me one time, to if I wanted to get better playing basketball to go down to um go uh oh I almost said the name of the park I, I, I can't even think of it I, but the name of this park Glenlock told me to go down to Glenlock Park and start playing basketball there well white boys didn't go to Glenlock Park and so I got on my huffy bike and I rode down there to Glenlock and I started playing ball I was scared out of my mind they didn't look like me. They didn't talk like me. They didn't act like me. I didn't understand the jokes. I didn't understand. I didn't understand anything. And I remember going there, and nobody would pick me. Nobody would do whatever. So one of the um, and this was back when I first came into middle school. So I was out there like shooting, and finally somebody did something. Had to go. Come on, white boy. And that's how they call. Come on, white boy. So I came in there, and I started you know shooting some threes and started doing some stuff. And it was like, oh okay, like whoa. We didn't realize you could play basketball, you know, and I'm and and it was confusing to me. It was confusing. I'm thinking, why wouldn't you think I could play basketball? Because the color of my skin. And and so we, I kept going there and and started becoming really good. And then I began to be known as white boy. And then I started playing and things would happen. But then we started going from Glenlock. We went to another place and. And then we started traveling around to different places in South Atlanta to go to these courts. And you have these court rivals back in the day. And I remember going to all these different courts. Uh, There was one place, um, uh, uh, I believe it was Crenshaw Court we went went to. And man, I'm walking, these people are getting out of the cars and and people are on the court and everybody's black. And they're all just talking and doing everything. And it's like everything stopped. Now, it might not have been the reality, but for me, it's like everything just er, stopped. And then and there was this girl, you know, like like I, I remember her. I don't remember exactly what she said, but she was kind of she was chewing gum and she was kind of like, I can't say exactly what she said, but she was kind of like, oh, you got, you know, I, I, yeah, I can't even say it. Well, I can't even finish a sentence without saying a cuss word. So she said some stuff and mocking me. And so we come in there. Now I'm, I'm, in, I'm in high school and could, could really could play a lot better. And I come in there and I'm telling you, just in a basketball game, the way they're fouling me, what they're doing, they're trying to trip me, they're trying to do all this. I mean, it was just, and I dealt with that all the time going to these different courts. And I began to just take it on like, okay, let's do this. And so if I come around the corner, get to dunk on somebody, then everyone's like, oh. Then, and then usually that would like calm it down a little bit. But it, then it's like it was offensive to them. And so I'll never forget this one guy was sitting there. He kept pushing me and kept doing stuff. 
and, and I wasn't about to call foul on it or whatever. One of my teammates was like, hey, hey, you know, that's a foul and called a foul. And because he called a foul, this other guy started losing it, just started like getting all just like, oh. And I'm like, man, I ain't doing nothing. I'm just backing up. And my friends who were with me, who knew me, came in. And then they started this thing. And so I'm telling you, this is exactly what happened. They're saying all this stuff about white boy this and white. And I'm thinking, I'm right here. And I'm, this is exactly what happened. Man said, fine, i tell you what, I'll settle this. And he ran out of the fence and ran to the parking lot. And then one dude said, he's going to get his gun. And it was like, shoo. People climbing, you know, like a tennis court fence. Real People climbing fences, people going. And I'm, and I'm like, he's, what, he's going to get his what? Like I'm sitting there like one of the last ones on the court. And he, I see him come out with a gun. <laughs> my friends left me everybody left me and I'm sitting there now thinking he's coming to shoot me and, and I just turn and just run I ran into the woods ran up around over a creek ran, I just kept running you're talking about run force run I was gone I was running and I didn't realize talking about triggering so I didn't realize out of experiences like that, how many times? So I'm sitting there talking to these people and I'm crying and I'm telling about two or three other stories that I could tell you that, that are similar and where there was fights and there was people making threats to me and, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, my, my gosh. So maybe you have experienced some kind of ism because of something. And, and what I wanted tonight's teaching to be about is not just about racism, but any ism, schism, ism that divides needs to be crucified and we need to remember who we are in Christ and represent, you know, represent Christ well. Remember who he is and who we are in him and not let these labels of the world or these different agendas that are going, don't be distracted and caught up into these different things. Let's be reminded of who we are and then here's the deal we can come back down to a place not on social media but come back down to a place in relationship where we can actually make disciples that can actually change the world instead of trying to change a government because if you study history when they when they made christian like the christian was it was the the state run or the what's the other way you say that um, it was a, uh, uh, you know, through, yeah, government backed, government, oh, there's a word for it. Oh, I just had it on my tongue too. It was, um, yeah, like, um, but there's a, a real intelligent sounding word where, where it's institutionalized. You know, and, and it's like everybody, the whole institution is set up to be Christian. And, and it's, the legislation, everything is said. It's like it, everything is, is set up to be in, Christian institutionalized. And you think, you think, that's just as silly as thinking because you, your kids go to a Christian school, they're walking with Jesus. It needs to be people making disciples. You and I coming back to the word of God, having a biblical world view. What does Jesus say? How is Christ in me going to vote? for the Great Commission, not for making America great again. And, 
And so I ask you to challenge yourself in different areas if you catch yourself um, either feeling like you've been treated one way because of a certain ism to not be a victim and to stand up and be like, God, I thank you that you've redeemed me and I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. And he who's in me is greater than he who's in the world and having that understanding. And then, because some of you, uh, I meet people who even let, they, they were raised in poverty. So they get around uh, people who have a little bit of money and they feel so insecure and insecurities can, can just be terrible. So recognizing, no, I'm secure in who I am in Christ. And he's got me in a process. And then the, the other thing is if, you've, if you end up finding yourself belittling somebody or dishonoring somebody because of one of those other things, you need to repent. You need to repent. So I just want to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you give JP wisdom to edit out anything that he needs to edit out from tonight. And I just thank you for every family and every heart that's here and every one that will... Listen to the teaching, Lord. And I pray you just give us a heart, God, for your, for your kingdom and for the Great Commission, God. And then teach us how to be rightly responsible in this nation to serve you and to glorify you and to, to, to stand for truth. To communicate with our representatives and our leaders. But to have a, just a heart of compassion and love and be a friend to sinners. And that you'd give us wisdom, Holy Spirit, as you lead us in these conversations. That we would rise to the occasion of the opportunity before us. In the middle of the confusion and the division. That your church would rise with clarity and with love and with wisdom. That we could preach your gospel with our lives and with our words. And we will make disciples. And help us start in ourselves and in our families. And we just pray for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Faith Center podcast. To connect with us, go to faithcenter.tv and fill out our connection card. We pray blessings over you and your family. We'll see you next time.